0: Dr. Cummings, he's got as many degrees as I have, if not more. But that's not why he's here. Uh, 14 years ago, shortly after Julie and I got married, I lured my wife into a honeymoon to go to the Holy Land. Um, I don't advise you to do what I did, to do a honeymoon with 30 other people who signed up from the Master's Seminary. But nonetheless, that was with Dr. Grisanti, and it was also with this couple from Kansas, and we got stuck in Hezekiah's tunnel together. It was one of the formative experiences of our time there. But as time went on over the years, and the Lord does this, and it's interesting, it seemed our paths would cross with David and Kim all the time. I was asked to be an intern uh, and interim pastor at Julie's Home Church, Cornerstone. And then after that, Dr. Grisanti came in and would preach occasionally there. And then David was asked to be the interim pastor after us for a year afterwards. And then as time went on and uh, Dr. Grisanti was always kind to me, he would mention David and Kim. And then I discovered afterwards that one of Ricardo's closest friends during his demon program was this couple known as the Cummings. And it was David. And we shared that. And David and I were able to spend time last year together at Shepherds Conference. And then as we had an elders meeting and the men were via Zoom with Ricardo, who appears in the background in Columbia, but David's in the background there. So our paths have crossed repeatedly. But beyond that, I would just say to you that um, with David and Kim, there's a, a love for the Lord that's grounded in his word. And that isn't always there with every man who go by the name of pastor. It's a special thing, and it's come, as you'll see, and you spend time with them through a life that God has given them and through many journeys. uh, David and Kim were originally from Texas. They had a regular, quote-unquote, normal life and normal job before they got called into the ministry. They have walked and they have seen, but they've walked with our Savior. And you can see that in spending time with them in their testimony and in their teaching. And so that was one of the reasons when it came for the anniversary this year that Julie and I said it would be really sweet to have them come and minister to us because the Lord has already been drawing us closer and closer together through our network of fellow saints who love the Lord. So with that, um, David, would you come and share the word with us?
1: yeah it's mine thank you brother well it's not often you get to say I went on a honeymoon with a pastor I didn't even go on my own honeymoon with a pastor you know what I'm saying and yes I do remember Hezekiah's tunnel quite well They were in the front of the line through Hezekiah's Tunnel. Now, Mark's built for Hezekiah's Tunnel. As you might have guessed so far, I'm not built for Hezekiah's Tunnel. So there were places where I'm going, is it going to get smaller? And is it going to get shorter? And if it does both at the same time, I'm in real trouble. And in front of us, we were kind of near the front. Most of Hezekiah's Tunnel experience for me was, I can't wait to get out of here. And they were in front, Mark and Julie and Ned and all the honeymoon. Lovey-dovey. And every three feet of Hezekiah's tunnel, they would stop and take a photograph. That sounds stereotypical, I understand that. But the deal is, every three feet. And uh, so anyway, I have I'm sure in their honeymoon photos, we're in there quite a bit. I'm in there sweating in Hezekiah's tunnel, so... It's a real joy to be here for Kim and I at your anniversary celebration, and uh, uh, it's a sincere joy in particular just to speak on the topic we're going to be speaking on this weekend, which is uh, displaying the love of God in the local church. The local church is a topic that is near and dear to both Kim and to my heart. And uh, these are truths that are often, sadly, disregarded even in churches today. Uh, Even doctrinally sound churches struggle in the area of displaying the love of God uh, within their bodies. Many have a disconnect, it seems, between the head and the heart. You, You can understand truth, right, and sometimes not apply it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? nobody, right? Just me? I'm the only one who struggles with that? It's true. It really is. They forget uh, who builds the church for one thing. And they think about, well, what if we do this? Or what do we do that? How can we really see this church grow? It's up to me. Pastors can feel that way. Church folk can feel that way. But the one who builds the church, of course, is who? You can talk to me. It's okay. Who? Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. Uh, And they forget how Christ builds his church. Many people think that it's uh, programs that build a church or events or entertainment and different things like that. But if you look at Christ's ministry, you'll see how his priorities played out. I had somebody tell me one time, and it really stuck with me, if you picture Christ's ministry as you read through the Gospels, and you think about it like a a pyramid or a triangle, and the, the bigger pieces are at the bottom if you sliced it. And if you picture the bottom of the triangle, the word of God, and then you picture Christ's ministry, and you start to kind of analyze where did he spend his time and energies, the first place, the biggest slice of that triangle at the bottom was on truth, was on principles, okay? So principles. And then the second slice, still really big, was people. Principles applied to people. And then a little bit past that, he had some programs, right? I mean, sent the disciples out two by two, some things like that. And property, good luck finding that anywhere, right? So when you look at Jesus's life, there were two main components to his ministry. And his ministry was about truth and truth applied to lives. And I suggest to you that that is what this whole conference topic is all about. That we take the truth of God and his love of God that is communicated to us in his truth and we see it applied in our lives toward God and toward others. So we're gonna have three sessions together as a whole group here. And we're gonna begin today just by really talking about the theological uh, actuality, which is really the foundation of the love of God. And then next time we'll focus on the essential attitudes, which exhibit the fruit of the love of God. And then finally on Sunday morning, tomorrow, We'll uh, uh, look at the vital activities that play out that are a part of the fellowship of the love of God. So let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you for this time together. I just ask you, Father, that you would help us to set aside distractions, and Father, that we would focus upon you and your word. I pray that I would communicate clearly and accurately what you have to say, and that you would, through your spirit, apply it to our lives, to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Now, our key text this morning is a really brief one, and it is 1 John 4.19, if you want to swipe in your Bible to that text. 1 John 4.19 is very, very simple, very, very familiar text. It's so simple that a small child can understand it and its truth at one reading, really. But it also communicates an astoundly weighty theological truth that is so profound that we, if we spent our entire lives trying to understand it, we would never totally arrive at the fullness of its content. We would still have room to grow. Now look at the text, and I'm reading from the New American Standard. Seven little words in the Greek, seven little words in the English. It says this, we love because he first loved us. That's easy enough, right? We love because he First loved us. Now, if you're carrying uh, King James or something like that, you, you'll have we love him. That's not in the best text. They go from a different text family. Uh, you can drop that off. It's true. It's not an error. But it's more than that. When you read the context, it is we love him and we love others. That's the context of what's going on here. We love because he first loved us. And this session, what we're going to really do is ponder this little verse with a, a purpose in mind. And our purpose is to embrace this clear theological truth. And it's this, listen carefully. The Christian is to be inherently characterized by a love that emanates from God and is reflected by us. This love is to be habitually expressed uh, first to God and also to those who are his image bearers and especially for our purposes this weekend, to his church. And First John 4.19 sums this up very, very succinctly and nicely. Now, quick question. Mark, what time am I supposed to be done? Because I know we're starting a little off schedule. Is he in here? Did Mark leave? Is that the way? Oh, there you are. What time do you want me to be done? It's 10.21 by the back clock. 1045? 23 minutes. Good luck. Was that your answer, 1045? I can do whatever you want. Because I can say, he loves. Okay. All right, so the first thing we want to notice here, buckle up. We're flying, all right? I don't know, maybe the lady in the first hour went really long or something you want to know, take note of the first thing. You see it on the outline you have in the booklet there. And that is, note, take note of the activating cause, okay? You see that in the last half of First John 4:19. We love why? Because he first loved us. It's because he first loved us. And there's a couple of things you'll notice there. They're on your outline as well. The first one is God is love, okay? Now, John clearly asserts this truth In the context of this verse, if you read further back, like back up a few verses to verse 8, you you see this. It says in verse 8, if you look at it, it says, the one who does not love does not know God for what? God is love. If you look down to verse 16, past this, or right before our verse, uh, it says, we've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. It says, God is love. Ha, theos, agape, esten in the Greek. It is only one way to translate that. Some people say, well, love is God. God is love could be both ways. Grammatically, it can't be. It is God is love. God defines what love is. God uh, it, uh, defines love, and love is not defined by him. That's important, okay, or by us. It's, it's defined by his character, not by us. Uh, We often get this backwards and we live like love is God, right? Especially any of you single in here today. Sometimes when you're single, you're going, huh, if I could just find that right person, a good godly man or woman, whichever works with your gender, your two genders. um, God is love. Not, not. It's not what we desire. It's not what we decide. God is love. He's saying this is a character attribute. When he says God is love, just like when earlier in First John one five he says God is light, which points to the fact that he is holy and righteous. It's his, grounded in his nature. So, what when it says God is love, it's more than saying God loves, which most people are pretty happy with, because it, loving well, God's love of us is not just another one of his actions, like perhaps ruling. His nature of love saturates all his endeavors. Even God's punitive and and, uh, judgment actions are drenched with love. You understand this, right? I mean, take, for example, church discipline. Okay? A lot of people don't like church discipline, including the people who have to carry it out. It's not easy. But it's one of the most loving things you can do for somebody, right? If somebody's caught in their sins, you go to them. And and you you bring it to their attention in a humble and loving way. And if they repent, you've won your friend. If not, you go back with more. Eventually, it goes to the church. Eventually, if they're unrepentant, they're even put out of the church. Now, all that sounds very kind of judgmental and rude and all this kind of stuff to our sensibilities. But it's one of the most loving things you can do. For example, if we were to walk out onto whatever street this is out here and, and you know, I look and I see uh, Kevin uh, about to walk in front of a bus, would it, what's the most loving thing I can do? Would it be, uh, Kevin, dear brother, he's like over there somewhere, you know, you're about to get hit by bus, Kevin. Would you, if Kevin would, would Kevin want me to do that? What would Kevin want? Hey, look out, there's a bus, right? You might holler at him a little bit. You might even go out there if you're close enough and run across. I might tackle Kevin onto the past the street to get him out of the way of the oncoming bus. Because why? It's dangerous to him, right? Would you like to see that? There's a couple over here. I think they want to see me tackle Kevin. Right? I mean, this is a dangerous thing. You respond in like manner, right? And in the case of church discipline, you're responding in love because I care that Kevin doesn't get hit by the bus. So at the time, he might get up and go, what's the deal, dude? Why are you doing that? Why are you hitting me? And then he sees the bus and he goes, oh, thank you. You see? God's love saturates everything he calls us to do because God is love. Also, letter B, love is from God. He's the fountainhead of love. He's the source of love. He's the origin of love. Love starts with the Father. Love is not created. Love is communicated. And this love here is a familiar Greek word, agape, which is uh, the love of self-sacrifice. It's volitional. It's I decide to love. It's not loving because it's easy always to love. And then John, of course, in First John 4, he gives us great example of the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, look at verses 9 and 10 of First John 4. He says, by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Question for you. I mean, it doesn't say a whole lot there about the cross and everything, but it refers to it, right? The propitiation for our sins. And you understand what propitiation is? He's the payment. He's the satisfaction. When he's on the cross, he's not on the cross because of, your, because of his sins. He's on the cross because of my sins and your sins, right? And that's love. That's agape love. That's a willing, sacrificial love. And he says, by this, we can see it. By this, verse 9, the love of God was manifested. We see the th- same thing throughout the Whole of Scripture, right? Ephesians two, for example. Uh, while we're done in our trespasses and sins, and then it says, "But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us," and then He talks about what Christ accomplished on our behalf. God demonstrated His love; He instigated it, <laughs> not us. Verse ten says, "And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us." And sent his son. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, I don't know about you and your situation, but uh, are you pretty excited about Christ dying on your behalf as a sinner? I mean, think about it for just a little bit. I mean, I know maybe you you lived with this stuff your entire life. Maybe you grew up here in the gospel from the beginning you know, for your parents from, as a little child. But you need to think about it a little bit here. Look at what Christ did. He gave, his, he gave his life so that we could live who were his enemies. That's a staggering thing to process. If you think of Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac, you remember the story there? God tells Abraham, he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, I want you to take him to a place I'm going to show you, and I want you to kill him. Now, how many of you have kids here? How, how you feel about that? If that, if, God, if that was God's command to you, if they're in junior high, you're probably pretty happy about it. <laughs> I mean, my parents would have been. What does Abraham do? He gets up early in the morning. I got water right here. I'm sorry. I'm just, I just want to pester everybody with this kind of pretension of cough all the time. Thank you. He gets up early in the morning. I don't know about you. If I had that command, I'd probably be like, yeah, I'll get to that. he didn't exactly say when, did he? Maybe I'll slow play it. He takes with him the wood for the burnt offering, takes all the supplies, in case wherever God sends him, all the stuff isn't necessary there. He's going to be prepared. Think about that. He goes on a three-day journey with his son, his only son, whom he loved, Isaac. Hey, Daddy, where are we going? You yeah, Isaac wasn't a little boy, but he was probably maybe 18 or so. Where are we going? By the way, when Isaac's 18, how old's Abraham? Time. anyone anyone Bueller he was a hundred years older okay I don't care he you spot me a hundred years on anybody I can take him it says something about Isaac too that he's following his dad up there and even allowing him to put him down as a burnt offering you know what I'm saying it says something about Abraham's character and Isaac's as well he gets to Moriah which by the way is the temple mount he's placed upon a rock Abraham takes the knife, he raises his hand, he's ready to kill him, he's prepared the offering, it's time, he's about to plunge it, and what does God do? He sends the angel of the Lord, that's the second person of the Trinity, by the way, the Son of God comes, and he says what? Abraham, Abraham, don't do it. Stop. What about the offering? There's a ram. You see this, what God did there? He when he's crucified his own son, he did not afford himself the same luxury that he afforded to his servant Abraham. Abraham was willing. We, we should be willing as well. <laughs> Whatever God says, wherever he wants us to go, all this kind of stuff, we should be ready and willing anytime, anywhere, any place. Right? Amen? This is love, okay? This commandment to love other people which is primarily we're talking about here in the church this time, this is a commandment of God. It's not any different than Abraham being told, go kill your son, except for it's a whole lot easier to put into action in some ways, right? But yet, churches can often be the most divided places on a Sunday that you can find. The love of God that would take his own son to pay the penalty for this sinner and those who are in Christ. That's a love that is abounding, right? I mean, I think of the um, (coughs) hymn, The Love of God by Frederick Lehman. You remember that one? It was like, could we with ink the ocean fill? And if the skies were made out of parchments, and if every stalk, every little blade of grass, every stalk on earth was a quill, and every man on earth a scribe, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. Point one is God is love, and he demonstrates his love, which comes from him. And that leads us to point number two on the outline, the, the abiding effect. There's a cause and there's an effect. And this is where we're going to focus especially today. Look at verse 19 again. We love because he first loved us. Because he first loved us we love now this is where the rubber hits the road because he loved us there is an effect expected demanded and commanded in this passage and that is that we love in the same manner as he loved the we there in the greek is emphatic he's like saying we ourselves love because of his love toward us now the love that we're to show here, you need to understand, this. this is not optional, okay? It is essential. That's letter A on your outline. Biblical love is a differentiating mark of a true believer. Now get this, okay? If you don't love like this, you have reason to, for need to examine your faith, okay? If you don't love the brethren, that's a mark that you may not be redeemed. That's how clear the command is here, all right? Now, there's different levels of this, and I don't want you to start just all doubting yourself because we all fail. I fail, you fail. You know? it's, perf- it's not perfection we're looking for here, but it is a direction of love that you see, and you see it play out in your life. Okay, let's, let's open this up a little bit here. Look back at uh, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. Everyone who loves is number one, born of God, and knows God. Then verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's very striking, very black and white, isn't it? Guinness Weist, who's a uh, Greek scholar, he commented on this verse, and he said, he that is not habitually loving has not come to know God, is what the Greek says there. That's pretty strong, isn't it? And as our text in verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Now this is not new teaching at all. Turn your Bibles over to Mark chapter 12. Verse 29. And Mark referenced this earlier. He starts off by quoting Deuteronomy 6.5. Jesus is speaking here in verse 29 of Mark 12, and he says, Hear, O Israel, quoting it, The Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So it begins there, right, with a love for God, and it flows out by necessity from that position. Now, if you're still in Mark there, which I hope you are, look down to verse 31. He says the second commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There he's quoting Leviticus 19, verse 18. And then Jesus says this. Listen to his words. There is no commandment greater than these. That's strong, isn't it? You see, not only are we to love God, like point one said, but we are to show, point two, love for others. This is startling. Look at 1 John 3.14 as we kind of move through a little bit of a survey here of some of this. 1 John 3.14. Look at what John writes here. He says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. How's that for a doctrinal statement? Because we love the brethren. I mean, you're like, where's the resurrection? Where's the cross? Where's the... Propitiation, where's the atonement? Where's you know all these kind of things? But he he just goes right to the heart of it because this is a fruit that you can see if all the rest of stuff has taken place. Because we love the brethren, he who does not love he continues abides in death. So right there, it's so clear. We need to stop and ask ourselves some questions when we come to a text like this, don't we? How's my love? Do I love like that? I mean seriously. Do I look around this room here at this sweet church family? I don't think you love each other because you're sitting so far apart for one thing. No, I'm kidding. But believe it, this is a Baptist church maybe. They're all heading the back. Look around. Do you love the brethren? Do you care about them to the level that you care about yourself? Wow. Or do you say you love them? Oh, I love the brethren. Oh, I love sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so. I really love them. Do you actually love them tangibly in life? That's a mark of a true believer, so it's something you got to really evaluate. Look back a few verses in 1 John 3 to verse 11. This is the message which you've heard from the beginning. From the beginning, this is not something that's brand new or changed. In some way, we should love one another. And forward to verse eleven of chapter four, from three eleven to four eleven. Beloved, if God so loved us, so also ought we to love one another. So in three eleven he says we should love one another. Four eleven he says we ought to love one another. Those are a little bit different, okay? One of them is an exhortation, let us love one another, and the other one is an obligation. The word is actually, you can translate it, we are obligated to love one another. He says, if God so loved us, and that if there is a first class conditional, which means it is true, it carries a factual force, it's assumed to be true. This is not a new teaching that John's just kind of pulling out of the air. He's an old man starting to rattle on, you know, about love. This is something that you see from. Deuteronomy from the earliest parts of the Bible all the way through Jesus's ministry. I mean, Jesus said many times, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, as yourself. Striking. Why? Why are we to love each other as ourselves? Well, number one, we are to love each other because, why? Each of our neighbors bears the image of God, Okay. They're image bearers. God loves them. John Calvin wrote, It's a false boast when anybody says that he loves God, but then he neglects God's image bearer, which is right before his eyes. We also love God because he's commanded us to love Him. them. We love them. And we love because he first loved us, as our verse says. Now, John has already said, if he turned backwards now to 2, 10 and 11, that this love is a proof of true fellowship. 1 John 2, verse 10, he says, "...the one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause of stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes." The next chapter, he's going to say in verses verse 10, he says, By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of the God. And look at the parallel statement, nor the one who does not love his brother. A little later, I mean, what does this love look like, right? I mean, this is so striking that he's saying this, and we just ought to be just consumed with this concept of, I'm called to love, I'm supposed to love like that. How do I do that? What does it look like? Am I doing that? Or am I just giving a lip service or playing to the the bell curve somewhere? What does love look like? Well, I just love the church. I love each one of these people. Love Love you, love you, love you, love you, love you, that kind of thing, right? But in practice, tangibly, I never think of them. I never pray for them. I never weep with them when I need when there's weeping. I don't rejoice with them when there's rejoicing. I don't care for them when there's a need, but I sure love them. You see the hypocrisy? First John 3:16. And this is amazing, right? We know love by this. How do I know love? That he laid down his life for us. Yes, I love that. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That takes it next level, doesn't it? The way we're to live in love towards each other. We're to love like Christ loves. Verse 17 says, whoever has the world's goods, number one has the world's goods, number two, sees his brother in need, but closes his heart against him. He asks this question, how does love of God abide that person? Now, huh, we're Americans. We're capitalists, right? That smells communist, socialist or something, right? This is not a political statement he's making here. It's, it's, it's family, okay? What is the church? The church is a family. It's a body. It's a flock. We're all together, right? You know, what would you do? Uh, parents, if your kid was in a real need, would you help him at all? You bet you would. You would withdraw from having something for yourself to give to them at times, wouldn't you? Why? Because you love them and what John's doing here is he's taking first John 4:19 which says we love because he loved us first and he says we love like him because we're together in this we're family and local church and we try to explain those kind of statements the way we really do because you know we're again we're just we're selfish is probably the best way to say it. But the statement here in 317 is crystal clear. Uh, we saw that, by the way, in the church of Acts, didn't we? I mean, look in, turn over to Acts chapter 4. Verse 32. Uh, don't need to turn over there. We don't have time to go into dip, in depth. Let me... Um, The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to his was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all those who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would distribute to each as any had need." In fact, even the example there in 36 and 37 is good old Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, who sold and bought money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The anti-example of that is in the next chapter with Ananias and Sapphira, who said, yeah, we want to be like that. But then they held it back for themselves. Okay, And Peter says, was it not your own way at it? So you have ownership and things, okay? It's not socialism and communism in that sense, right? But what it is, is I care enough, like that family, that I will do whatever I can to help my brother because I love my brother. How's, the, how's it going so far? Are you ready to kick me out? Right? Is like, I thought we were going to have an uplifting message from Pastor David. He seemed like a nice guy in the lobby. Get him out of here. He's, he's meddling at this point, right? I'm, I'm talking, I'm preaching to myself, okay? Because I like to try to explain those things away, even. You know what I'm saying? I mean, people treat this kind of stuff like it's some sort of anomaly. You know, like the stuff in Acts. It's like, with that particular thing, well, that's got to be like the sign gifts or something. It's, It's done over. It's gone, you know. But we're to love like that because by the time we get to the very end of the writings of the New Testament here in 1 John, he's saying basically the same thing. Listen. If you say you are a Christian and yet do not love your brother, you are a liar and are deceived according to the text. 1 John 2, 4 says, The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And devil verse 9 it says, The one who says he's in the light yet hates his brother is in the darkness till now. And the commandments are, love your neighbor as yourself. 1 John 4, 8, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. John here just gives this unhesitating verdict to those who profess to love Jesus Christ and do not habitually love those who are made in the image of God. He says he's a liar. He says he's deluded. He says he's a hypocrite. And then in First John four twenty 20 and 21, he says, if somebody says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he's seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him, that we love, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So strong, isn't it? When a person fails to love his brother, it reveals something. Stott says it's easier, it's obviously easier to love and serve a visible man than an invisible God. God. And if we fail in the task, it is absurd to claim success in the harder one. So the calling and the command of God is clear. Because God, who is love, first loved us, we should be marked with love as a pattern of life. Then letter B on your outline, 2B. It's our final point. Biblical love should be an abiding characteristic of a theologically sound church. 1 John 4:11 again beloved if god so loved us we ought to love one another that's so there if god so loved us in, in saying in the way that god in jesus christ loved us then we're to love in the same manner now where else should this be more evident than within a local body of believers This should be like ground zero for the love fest between the brethren, for you guys and for us in the church. F.F. Bruce says, he writes this, he says, we love God, it's true, but in loving him, we inevitably, he says, according to these verses, love his children. In taking the initiative in loving us, God not only showed us how to love one another, but he imparted to us the desire and the power to follow this example of his and that brings us to our key verse for this weekend john chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 where jesus is speaking and he says a new commandment i give to you that you love one another even as i've loved you same thing right you love one another and then he says what by this this love that you show for one another all men will know that you are my disciples if, if what? You love one another. He doesn't say if you go to church, if you read your Bible, if you uh, uh, went to a shepherd's conference, if you argue argue theology on Twitter. He doesn't say all those kind of things. What does he say? If you love the brethren, that's what needs to show up. It's not that going to church is not important. There's a command for that. We could do that another time, right? It's not that reading the Bible is not important. We certainly could prove that point very easily. Arguing on Twitter, another example I'm not sure about. Not in the Bible, anyway. But we do defend the faith, and we give an account. So Jesus said it's a new commandment that you're not only to love our neighbor, Leviticus 19, 18, right? But he addresses the way you are to love, and that is to love as he loved, as God the Father loved, and Jesus loved, and Spirit loved. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, You'll keep my commandments and that's a commandment of god now this love is not a grit your teeth and love others kind of love it is a fruit of the holy spirit that indwells you as a believer galatians 5 robert canlis the ancient commentator has wrote we now have a divine faculty of loving in other words This is not something we have to muster up that God's gifted us to do this, if we're His. And we love, and by the way, the verbal tenses there are these, okay? It's present tense. You continually love. It's active voice. You're actively and continually loving. And it's indicative mood. As a matter of fact, you're doing it. God's people in His church are to be characterized by this. Is it easy? It's not always easy, right? Some people are more lovable than others. Have you noticed this? I mean, some people are easy to love. Oh, they're so kind. They're so nice. They're so receptive. They're like me. They like the same stuff as me or whatever. And some people are harder to love. It's like porcupines, right? I'm going to give you a hug. And then oh, I'm a porcupine, you yeah. It's like the old poem, to live above with saints and love in heaven, right? That'll be indeed glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's another story, you know? But when we love others, even as Christ loved us, it's evidence of of the supernatural working of God in the very fabric of our being. Listen, we always reveal what we are by what we do. You want to know what you believe? Watch what you do. If you say, I love God, and you don't do what he commands, you don't love him. That's the bottom line. Sometimes that's a life. I don't love him. And sometimes it's, I, I've got idolatrous for a moment and sin, and I don't love him during that moment. Okay? James 4 is significant on this. You know, he says, well, what's, the core, what's the source of your quarrels and your troubles that you have and all this kind of stuff? And what does he say? It's your, it's, he basically says this. He says, it's your desires. Because we do what we do because we want what we want, right? And we want what we want because we think how we think. And we think how we think because we believe what we believe. So if I believe that money makes me happy, I'll think about how I can get more money, i want more money, and then I'll do whatever it takes to get more money, even if it's not legal at times, right? If that's your belief. But if I truly believe that God loved me in such a beautiful way that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that I might have life and have it eternally. That he adopted me into his family. That he's coming back to reward me and bring me into my eternal home. And where there will be no sin, no sorrow, no weeping, no gnashing, none of that kind of stuff, only blessedness forever. If I believe that, I'm going to think differently. My mind, uh, Romans twelve one and 2, is renewed I'm being transformed by that. And then what I want will start to change as well. I want to bring glory to him. He could love me that much. I want people to know him. He loved me that much and he wants me to love others. I want to love others. And then your actions start to follow through. And you actually do it. If you believe we're you know, that you are the most important thing on the world, you'll live like it. If you believe that your comfort and your happiness are paramount, you'll live like that, and you'll do everything to do it. It doesn't matter who you have to steamroll or take over to to, to get your desires. If we believe that we have no responsibility to care for our brothers, if we believe that our wives and our children exist to give us happiness and to serve us, If we believe church exists only to serve me or entertain me or minister to me only, there'll be impact to that, right? We won't use our spiritual gifts. We won't show love to others. We won't care for those people. Listen, if Lighthouse Bible Church of San Jose is gonna glorify God and be used mightily of God in the coming years, he's given you 13 already and praise God for that, right? But in the coming years, hopefully many, many more until he comes. If we're going to be used mightily by his powerful hand, we need to make sure of a few things. We need to make sure that our theology is correct and our thinking, what we believe, uh, our thinking comes out of that, right? And our actions. That, that we need to uh, realize that man and this issue of love is made in the image of God and we are to love man as God loves man in a biblical way, not a sentimental Hallmark movie kind of way. And then out of that, our desires flow. And then comes biblical thinking more and more, and it just keeps building. We have this as our ambition to be pleasing to him, and our actions reflect those desires, and it just rants and repeat. When we live out our faith reflecting the love of our Lord to others, uh, we'll look more and more like what Christ did. I mean, look at Christ in the Gospels. Read the Gospels again and just start marking how he interacted with people. He had an eye of compassion towards the people who were suffering and who were lost. He, he didn't deal with them in the way they deserved, he dealt with them instead, according to his love, he gave him opportunity. His attitude toward people was not determined by uh, social status, economic situation, politics, likability, his attitude was driven by his love for them also the religious people who said all the right stuff and knew the verses but didn't do it the pharisees look how he treated them too with a love that tried to reclaim them right he pointed it out i mean here's a seeker sensitive service for you right you prude of vipers i mean i mean this is tough jesus is not like you know like a renaissance painting where he's just kind of pale and pasty and leaning and I'm happy, Jesus. You know, it's not that kind of thing. He's God Almighty, and he's righteous and he's holy, but he's loving. And he calls us to live in accordance with that and to reflect him to a lost and dying world so that he might redeem some to the glory of his name. Is that your art? If it's not, today's a good day to repent. I have to repent all the time of that. You know what I mean? There are times that it is my heart, and there are times it's like, you know, I, wanna, I want some me time, right? And I got to be reminded, it's his time. I've been bought with a price. There's the theology, my friends. He's told us to love. He's told us how to love like he loved. And he's made it to be a mark that says, if you're mine, you will love. Like that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, and we thank you for your truth. Lord, uh, to read those words apart from the Holy Spirit of you that dwells us um, would be discouraging. But to know that you have sent your Son and have empowered us by sending your Spirit to carry out what you've called us to do because you are a just God. Uh, We realize that the burden is not a heavy burden, but the burden is light. Lord, help us to get out of the way of your work by loving like you love. We pray this in your Son's holy name. All God's people said, Amen.